Well, I know we're not clapping for me. We're clapping because we're glad to be in church today. Wasn't it great to worship the Lord? Let's thank Sarah and worship team uh, for leading us uh, this morning in worship. Uh, so good uh, to be gathered together in this place. Let's start this morning. Let's start this morning with a joke, okay? Have you heard this joke before? It's about three guys that were stranded on a desert island and they discovered a bottle with a genie in it. The genie came out and the genie said, ask whatever you wish, one wish for each person. And the first guy says, I wish I was in Paris. And poof, he's in Paris. Second guy is, I wish I was in Hollywood. And poof, he's in Hollywood. Third guy looks around and he's feeling a little lonely. He's missing his friends. I wish my friends were here. Poof. His friends were there. I know, a bad joke, maybe too early on a Sunday morning for a joke. But what if, what if you were to discover a genie in a bottle? What if a genie said to you, ask whatever you wish, what would you wish for? What if God, the creator of all things, were to say to you, ask what you want and it will be given to you? What would be your response? This is the exact scenario that Solomon found himself in. If you have a copy of God's word, whether it's physical or digital, I encourage you to open it up to 1 Kings. 1 Kings is a historical book in the Old Testament. It's in the middle of Genesis and Psalms. So if you're kind of like in the middle there, you're going to find 1 Kings. Uh, we're in a series entitled, Dear Lord, a study of the prayers in the Bible. We have been seeking to grow in prayer personally as well as a church. That we don't want to just grow in knowledge about prayer, but we want to grow in our experience with prayer. Increasing in frequency and duration and depth in our prayer. And so in this series, we are looking at prayers in the Bible. So far, we've looked at a prayer of Jonah, a prayer of Hannah, a prayer of Jesus. Today is a prayer of Solomon. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is Solomon, a prayer for wisdom. How many of you need some wisdom in your life? Let me just share just some wisdom with you right now. It would be wise to raise your hand to acknowledge that you need wisdom in your life. So who needs wisdom in your life? We all need wisdom, right? We need wisdom in our relationships. We need wisdom in our home. We need wisdom in our decisions. Wisdom is not knowledge. This is back to school month, and we're so thankful for the knowledge that we gain in school. But wisdom isn't memorizing the periodic chart of elements or solving an algebra problem. But wisdom is this, it's discerning God's best and acting upon it. So it's knowledge as well as action. And so how many of us need wisdom? We all need wisdom, right? And so we're going to dive into God's word. You don't want thoughts and opinions from me. We want wisdom from God's word. So we're going to dive into God's word. Five steps for wisdom from 1 Kings chapter 3. So if you're taking notes, five steps. First step is this, is to recall God's character. 
Well, where do we see this in the text? If you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 5, at Gibeon. Gibeon is a place, it's a place that Solomon went to worship the Lord. You can see the context there in the verses prior to this. And while he was at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said to Solomon, ask what I shall give you. There it is. If God said that to you, ask what I shall give you, what would be your response? Let's see what Solomon's response is. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in three things, in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love. Notice that twice. Steadfast love. This is Hesed love. What's steadfast? Steadfast is steady. It's stable. It's constant. It's unchanging. It's faithful. How have you experienced the Hesed love in your life? How have you experienced God's faithfulness in your life? David start, or Solomon starts by recalling God's character. And you've given to him a son, that's Solomon, to sit on the throne this day. So now Solomon is king. And so what's the context here is that Solomon is in Gibeon and while he's in Gibeon, he has this dream and God speaks to him in this dream and he talks back to God in this dream. It might not seem like it's a prayer because it doesn't start with our father who art in heaven. It doesn't end with amen. But if we've defined prayer as simply talking to God, that Solomon is talking to God, that Solomon is praying. And so God appears to Solomon in a dream. How many of you would agree that God speaks today? I believe that God speaks today, but God does not primarily speak through dreams. In the Old Testament, God spoke through a donkey, but how many of us would agree that God does not primarily speak through a donkey? How many of you are glad that God does not primarily speak through a donkey? So let me suggest to you four ways that God primarily speaks today. God primarily speaks through his word, through his son, through his spirit, and through his people. That God first, he primarily speaks through his word. That when we say it's the word of God, it's the very words of God. That every word of God, God is speaking. And so we don't just read God's word for knowledge, but we read God's word to hear from God. And that God speaks to us through his son. In Hebrews chapter one, it talks about how God used to speak through the prophets. Now he speaks to us through his son. And so when you read those red letters in the gospels, when Jesus is speaking, God is speaking. When Jesus is loving and caring for someone, God is speaking. When we see Jesus' example, God is speaking. He speaks through his word, through his son. He speaks through his spirit his spirit into our conscience, creating conviction, conviction about what to do and what not to do. How many of you have been convicted when you've done what you're not supposed to do? But we're also convicted when we don't do what we're supposed to do. And so we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit by not doing what he asks us to do. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit by doing what he doesn't want us to do. 
that the enemy condemns us with generalities. You're a loser. You're never going to change. No one loves you, but the Holy Spirit convicts us in specifics. God speaks to us through his spirit. And then God speaks to us through his people. God speaks to us through pastors, through family members, through friends, through growth group leaders. But make sure that if you're seeking counsel from someone, that they are speaking truth to you from God's word that's not contradictory to God's word. Because if it's contradicting God's word, you know it's not God speaking to you. So what are the four primary ways that God speaks to us? God speaks to us through his word, through his son, through his spirit, through his people. And so as you're pursuing God to speak to you, don't pursue God in a dream. Pursue God in these four ways. And do you see how we're experiencing all four of these right here in this place right now today? That as we worship, we are lifting high the name of Jesus and that God's spirit inhabits the praises of his people. How many of you sense God's spirit here in this place? And then we open up God's word, believing that God has a word for us. And we're doing so in community. That's why we say, come to church every Sunday. Because we want to put ourselves in places where God is speaking. I wish God would speak to me more. Put yourself in places where God is speaking. So here in one of these chairs on a Sunday morning at 9 or 11, but also opening up your Bible during the week and letting God speak to you. By growing a lifestyle of prayers we've been talking about in this series, where you're not just talking to God, but you're pausing and you're listening to God speak to you. And if you take the time to hear from God, God's going to speak to you. So here in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon has this dream. God's speaking to him. He's speaking back to God. God says to him, ask whatever that you want. Again, what would be your response? Would you quickly jump to a request? Solomon didn't. What did Solomon start with? Recalling God's character, God's great and steadfast love, God's grace and goodness. He didn't rush to a request, he started with recalling. He had a heart of gratitude that led to thankfulness. Pastor Ron taught this to us a few weeks ago. The gratitude is an inward disposition that leads to thankfulness, which is the outward expression of a grateful heart. That Solomon had a grateful heart, and so he starts his prayer with praise and thanksgiving. Is that how we start our prayers? Or do we pray to God like God is the God of Carvana? You know, like the vending machine of automobiles. Dear God, give me a sports car with low mileage and let it be red with a good Carfax report. It's ridiculous, right? But isn't that what we do? Dear God, give me this. Give me that. Give me, give me, give me, give me. What if we were to start our prayers? like Solomon did, recalling God's character. God's character towards his dad, God's goodness and grace is to David. 
and then to himself, Solomon. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God was faithful to his dad, God's going to be faithful to him. And God will be faithful in the future. You see, when we forget the works of God, we lose the wonder of God. How have you experienced the work of God in your life? God's goodness, God's grace, God's hasid, steadfast love. Camille and I have three kids, 22, 20, and 18. Our 22-year-old, when he was 20, just two years ago, was diagnosed with cancer. Devastating to our family. We praise God for God's goodness and grace for early detection. He was able to have surgery. Now every three months, he gets blood draws and scans, and God is healing him. Can we praise God for that? And six months after he was diagnosed with cancer, he turned 21. So he called Camille and I, and he said, hey, can I have some money for my birthday? I want to get a tattoo. (laughs) Sure, Jonathan. Tell us about the tattoo that you want to get. I want to get the Hebrew word for preserve tattooed on my arm. And through tears, we sent the money. He walks around every day with a reminder of God's goodness and grace, God's hesed love, his steadfast love, that God has preserved our son, Jonathan. And God has used this test to become his testimony. Because everywhere he walks, he's got this tattoo. What's that tattoo mean? Will God preserve my life? See, when you forget the works of God, you lose the wonder of God. How have you experienced God's goodness and grace in your life? See, for Solomon, wisdom started with recalling God's character. The second step was that he recognized his need. You're never going to get wisdom unless you recognize the need for wisdom. So let's get back into the text. First Kings chapter three, starting in verse eight, it says this seven. And now the Lord, my God, not the God, not a God, but the Lord, my God, a personal um, reference to God. And you have made your servant King in the place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, he's not a little child, he's 20 years old, he's young, he's a young adult, he's inexperienced in leadership, he's recognizing that. Do you see the humility in that? That he is king, but yet he's referring to himself as God's servant three times in these verses. I'm but a little child, I don't know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people. He's leading an entire nation. Too many to be numbered or to be counted for the multitude. You see, Solomon understood that leadership, the position of leadership wasn't about power, but it was about the people. Do we get that? Your leadership in your family, your leadership in your business, your leadership here in the church, it's not about power, but it's about the people. 
Maybe some of you can identify with this. When I was young, I thought I knew it all, but the older I became, I realized I didn't know it all when I, re- when I thought I knew it all. How many of you can agree with me with that? If you're here and you're a teenager, you're a young adult, young married, young family, parenting teens, don't let the pride of self-sufficiency creep into your life. I don't, I got it. I know it all. But have the posture that Solomon had and to recognize the need for help. Here at High Point, we talk about getting out of rows and into circles, getting out of rows that we're in right now and getting into growth groups. Well, why do we do that? It's not because we want something from you. It's we want something for you. We want you to be able to experience spiritual growth and relational growth in your life. And that happens in the context of groups. We have all different kinds of groups. Pastor CJ has already mentioned this. That we've got women's groups that couldn't be more excited about our unified plan for our women's ministry led by Bethany Smith and Taryn here at this location. We're so thankful for that. If you're a woman, rush to the table today and get connected into a women's group this year. We've got a men's group. We've got Mary group. We have um, young adult groups. We've got groups for everybody. But let me just highlight two specific groups to you. First, the parenting groups, some parenting groups, and then second... Hope group. First, the parenting groups. We believe that uh, parents are to be the primary disciple maker in the home. That High Point isn't here to replace the parents. We're here to come alongside, to support, to partner with, to strengthen parents in the parenting journey. Maybe this diagram is helpful for you. You can see parents and kids and teens in High Point. It's all of us coming together. Here at High Point, we've developed a discipleship roadmap that takes into account birth all the way up through high school and beyond. And all along the way are milestones, age-appropriate milestones for spiritual development for our kids and for our teens. Some of these signs along the way are the different groups that I'm talking about here in this place. That High Point Kids, as a part of Limitless Legacy, is being reimagined and uh, refreshed in this season. I'm so excited for that. I say this to you because it's not just a commitment that we made to our kids, a commitment that we made to our parents, but it's it's a commitment we made to our church to invest in the next generation in limitless, limitless legacy. Starting next week in our kids' ministry, we're starting a brand new curriculum. I could not be more excited about this. That we're living in an age, we're living in a culture where so many kids and teens and even adults are confused about their identity. And so what we want to do in a very age-appropriate way is that we want our children to be able to understand at a young age their identity in Christ. So think about this, what our kids are going to be getting in the months to come. Every month is going to be a new identity in Christ. And if you think about a month, that there's going to be four or five lessons within each of these categories. But starting in September, starting next week, that I am known, that I'm forgiven, that I'm made for community, that I'm secure, that I am loved, that I'm set apart, that I'm uniquely designed. And so um, if you're a parent of kids, I can't implore you enough to get your kids to church every Sunday. 
Jesus says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. How many parents hinder their kids from coming to Jesus each Sunday because they don't come to church? Come to church, make it a priority. If our kids were this age, there wouldn't be anything stopping us from having other people invest in our kids so that our kids would understand their identity in Christ at a young age. I couldn't be more excited about that. But High Point Kids isn't just Sunday-centric, it's gospel-centric. After um, High Point Kids, each kid is given a family growth guide. And we're encouraging families to talk about these subjects together at a young age around your own kitchen table. And then the last few months, we've introduced the family hub. We're resourcing families with resources for parents, for kids, for teens to believe and belong to and become like Jesus. All that because we want to make an investment into the next generation. And so we believe that the parents are the primary disciple maker in the home, so we want to come alongside parents and not just do things for their kids, but we also want to support the parents. And so we got different parenting groups. Do you know that we have three parenting groups starting your family off right? If you got infants just being born into your family, just starting a family, start your family off right. And then we got young family group, Pastor CJ and Hope lead this. It's for those that are littles all the way up through grade school. And then we have parenting teen group led by Justin and Jenna Levon for our parents of preteens and teens. I'm excited about some of the studies that these groups are going to be doing this year. On Target Parenting is a brand new study for our young family group. It's been said that if you aim at nothing, you hit what? You hit nothing every time. We don't want to be aimless in our parenting, but we want to parent with a purpose and on, with intentionality. We want to be on target in our parenting. And so this study is based on the framework, the foundation of Psalm 127. It's 10 weeks. Biblical principles for shaping, aiming, and releasing your children. I already mentioned that we've got three kids, 22, 20, and 18. Our 18-year-old, we just moved into her dorm this past week. And so they're still a part of our family for sure, but we have released them into adulthood. If I was a young family, I wish that I could be a part of this. If you're here, make this a priority because we want to come alongside of you and help you to shape, aim, and release your children and then for those in our parenting teen group, we're going to be doing a study called 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. Simple questions like, why does it matter that I'm a boy or a girl? Why can't we all agree that love is love? Doesn't the Bible and science contradict one another? Isn't Christianity against diversity? You know, simple topics like that. <laughs> well, why are we doing this study? It's because we don't want to protect our kids from culture. We want to prepare our kids to engage with culture. And if we as parents don't have a biblical worldview, how are we going to teach a biblical worldview to our teenagers? And it's not just about having the talk with our teens, but it's having ongoing conversations about these subjects, these everyday topics in our culture. We want to be having conversations with them in everyday life. And so if you're a parent of teen, rush out to the lobby after this service, see Justin and Jenna, sign up, make this a priority for you. So I mentioned to you, we were going to highlight two groups, parenting groups, and then the last group is Hope Group. Uh, God is doing amazing things through Hope Group. Who should be a part of Hope Group? 
Everyone should be a part of Hope Group. We all suffer in many ways. We suffer emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually. We all suffer in many ways. How many of you suffer in different ways, right? We all suffer. And we all struggle. Our struggles might be different, but our struggle is the same. Last year, over 200 people each and every week experienced hope in God's word and in community through Hope Group. Can we praise God for that? And why is it that they experienced hope? It's because they had an attitude like Solomon. They recognized the need. So what group are you in? I heard said that we have a group for everyone in our church. So why is it that not everyone's in a, in a group? Well, the lazy answer is I don't have time. We have time for what is priority, right? Well, I was hurt by a group in the past. Can you try another group? I'm kind of insecure. I don't know what this group is going to be like. Can you walk by faith and trust God? But maybe the number one reason why people aren't in a group, this might hurt some, but it's this topic that we're seeing with Solomon. It's the opposite of Solomon, actually. It's the pride of self-sufficiency. I don't need a group. See, it's the wise who seek help. It's the foolish who are like, I know it all. Are you like this guy, this meme that we see on Instagram, High Point Students Instagram this past week? He's moving a sofa. Instead of asking for help, he gets an office chair. An A plus for ingenuity. But is it hard for you to ask for help? I think it is hard for some guys especially to ask for help. And so we go through life without being connected in community, connecting in a group, and we miss out on all that God wants for us. Oh, that we would take the posture of Solomon and not that of self-sufficiency, but that of humility, recognizing our need for help. In this series on prayer, dear Lord, we've been studying prayers of the Bible, trying to grow in prayer. And so we want to be a church that prays. So throughout the month of September, we're dedicating the month of September to 30 days of prayer in September. Anyone excited about that? Each and every day, we're going to be praying for a different topic. How many of you would agree that we need God's wisdom in our community, in our families, and in our church? Would we agree with that? So let's pray for wisdom. And each day, we're going to pray for a different topic. We're going to pray for our community, pray for our children, pray for our missionaries, pray for our ministries. We want to encourage each person to uh, designate a time of the day to pray. We're not a legalistic church. For some, it might be 6 a.m. For some, it might be noon. For some, it's 10 p.m. at night. But set your clock, set your calendar, spend time praying. Make that a priority. And we believe that God is going to do great things when we pray, when we call out to him, because we recognize our need. So we recall God's character. We recognize our need. Why do we spend so much time on step two? Because this is the crux of the message. That if you don't recognize your need for wisdom, you're never going to get wisdom. That Solomon recognized the need for wisdom. And then step three is to request wisdom from God. So where do we see this here in the text? We see this in verse nine. So remember back in verse five, that God said to him, ask what you want. He didn't rush right to the request. He recalled God's character. He recognized his need for then. Now he makes the request. Give your servant again humility there. 
an understanding mind to govern your people, that I might discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? So Solomon prayed for wisdom. He prayed to be able to discern that which is good and bad, that which is right and wrong, that which is good and evil. This is not uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden, they stole the forbidden fruit because they wanted to be God. Here Solomon is praying for discernment so that he can lead God's people. Do you see the difference there? That it wasn't for his sake, but it was for God's sake. It was for the people's sake. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is discerning God's best and then acting upon it. It's not just knowing God's best, but it's acting upon it. How many of you need more wisdom in your life? Wisdom in your family. Wisdom in your relationships, at work, in your leadership. Wisdom with your words. Wisdom with your time. Wisdom with your finances. Wisdom with dealing with past hurts and wounds. Wisdom about future direction. If we need wisdom, why don't we ask for wisdom more? Why don't we throughout the day, it's not just we need wisdom every week, it's not just we need wisdom every day, we need wisdom every moment of the day. God, give me wisdom in this decision. God, fill me with wisdom as I seek to parent. God, show me your wisdom in what I should do in this situation. Do you see how simple it is? It's just simply asking. This is what James 1 says. James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, we already raised our hand, we lack wisdom. So what is it that we should do? We need to ask of God. It doesn't say beg God. It doesn't say grovel at God's feet. It doesn't say perform for God. It just says simply ask who give to God, who gives generously, generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. Do you see this? It's simple. Request wisdom, receive wisdom. You want to receive wisdom? Request wisdom. And that leads us to step number four. Step number four in 1 Kings 3 is to receive wisdom from God. Verse 10, and it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you asked this and not asked for long life or riches or the life of your enemies, think about all that Solomon could have asked for. For health, for wealth, for revenge on his enemies. That's what it's saying here. He didn't ask for those things. But you ask for yourself understanding to discern that which is right. Behold, now I do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and a discerning mind so that none like you has uh, been before you and none like you shall arise after you. You see that Solomon chose spiritual over material. How many of us would do that? And because he chose spiritual over material, that it pleased God and God provided wisdom for him. And God will provide wisdom for each and every one of us here today. And when God gives wisdom, he gives it generously. We already read that, right? He gives it abundantly. Look at what God did for Solomon as he gave him wisdom. We see this in the next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 4. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. 
and the breadth of his mind like the sand of the seashore. Think about all the sands and all the seashores across the globe. That was Solomon's mind of wisdom. And in verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. 3,000 proverbs, many of them are contained in the book of Proverbs. Over 1,000 songs, many of them are in the Psalms as well as in the songs of Solomon. And so what's our progression? Our progression is that we recall God's character, we recognize the need, that's the crux. Then we request wisdom, we receive wisdom, and the best part is this, we reap blessing upon blessing. Notice this here in the text. It says, I will give to you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, verse 13. So he asked for wisdom, but God piled on on top of that, both riches and honor, that no king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I shall lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. And then he came to Jerusalem and he stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. What's the Ark of the Covenant? That's the symbol of God's presence. And he made a feast for his servants. So here it ends in a worship experience. Worshiping God in community with people. Now, I'm not here to suggest, I want to invite our, our worship team to come forward. I'm not here to suggest in any way that you do these five simple steps and you're going to win the mega millions Powerball this week. But what I would suggest is God's character is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Then when we choose that which is right, God blesses. God may not bless by winning the Illinois lottery, but God may bless by winning the lottery of a peace of mind. Or the lottery of loving relationships. Or the lottery of a contentment of heart. And so here, Solomon reaps blessing upon blessing. And I believe that God wants to give you blessing upon blessing. But you might be here and you might be thinking that your past disqualifies you from any blessing. I want you to know that that's not true, that your, your past does not disqualify you. Do you know the story of Solomon? Solomon is the son of David, yes, but Solomon is also the son of Bathsheba. We know how that story went. David had an affair with Bathsheba and then David killed Bathsheba's husband, his own best friend, to cover up the affair. That's how Solomon entered into the world. Yes, he entered into privilege, but he also entered into a very dysfunctional family. That Solomon was not the first son of David. He wasn't Prince William. He wasn't Prince Harry. He was down the line. That Absalom was the first son of David, but Absalom revolted against his father, tried to take the throne, and was killed. 
Amnon is the second son. He was a real loser. He raped his half-sister. And his brothers killed him because of it. Abdonijah was the third son. He tried to usurp the throne and was killed. Anyone else feel better about your family? (laughs) Well, why do I say all this? It's because your past doesn't dictate your future. Some of you, you're building a legacy, a spiritual legacy, generation after generation of spiritual faith within your family. Some of you are starting as a first-generation believer. For some, you're trying to break generational sins that have been in your family for far too long. Your past doesn't need to dictate your future. Your past doesn't disqualify you from God's blessing upon blessing upon blessing in your present. If you seek his wisdom... Earlier, I talked about how oftentimes we don't request wisdom because of pride and self-sufficiency in our life. That is true. I think there's an equally second reason. It's not because of our self-sufficiency, but it's because of our shame. Because of our past, why would I ever ask God of something? Because God knows my past. Why would God ever bless me? Why would God ever give me Wisdom, And so we continue to live in shame. We want to talk about that in Hope Group this year. And so your past doesn't dictate your future. See how this passage ends? This passage ends with Solomon in Jerusalem and he's offering up burnt sacrifice to the Lord. In verse 4, it says that he offered a thousand burnt sacrifices to the Lord. How many of you are glad that we don't live in the Old Testament era? But it says this, that in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so the burnt sacrifice was the sacrifice that was made to atone for sin. But Jesus changed it all. That in John 1, 29, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That Jesus died on the cross as the Lamb of God, paying the sacrifice once and for all for our salvation. Can we praise God for that? And so now we bring this message, this service to a close with communion should have received the elements as you came in. If not, an usher will bring them to you. There's two elements in communion. There's the bread and then there's the cup. The bread represents Jesus' body broken for you. The blood represents Christ's blood shed. Again, remember, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But because the blood was shed, there is forgiveness. Communion is an opportunity for believers in Jesus Christ to reflect on and to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. Maybe you're here today and you're not yet a believer. What's holding you back? All you need to do here in this place today is the day of salvation. All you need to do is you need to say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. Most of us can admit that. 
I believe that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again, and I choose Jesus to be the Lord of my life as best as I know how. If you say something like that to God, God hears your heart, and you're now a part of God's family, and we invite you to partake in communion. And so the worship team in a moment is going to sing over us. Well, what should we do in this moment? We should hold the elements in our hand and we should reflect. Well, what should we reflect on? Let's think about what we've just heard in this message. The points from the message. That we're going to recall God's character, God's goodness and grace for you and even giving of his son for you. Recognize your need for help that I'm a sinner and I desperately need the Savior. Request wisdom, request forgiveness, request grace from God and then receive those things. And then reap blessing upon blessing, future and eternity, but also a life of forgiveness here and now. So as the worship team sings over us, Let's pause and reflect. When you're ready, take the elements by yourself or as a couple or as a family. And once you've taken the elements, we can stand and we can respond because Jesus is the Lamb of God.